and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg, and I am, uh, well, I'm flying solo today because Bill is flying at about 40,000 feet. Uh, at the moment, he is uh, playing hooky. So we'll forgive Bill Newman for that. There is so much news to talk about uh, local, New Hampshire, national. Um, I'd like to begin, I think, with the fact that Donald Trump is going to be appearing in the ballot in the Massachusetts Republican presidential primary on March 5th of this year, notwithstanding the fact that uh, there is a claim. Um, we have talked with John Bonifaz about the uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3, which bans insurrectionists for running uh, for offices. Um, as we know, in Colorado, um, he has been uh, banned from that ballot that's being appealed to the United States Supreme Court, whether or not he can be ruled disqualified or ineligible to appear on a ballot uh, because he uh, because of January 6th and his um, election denial. Also in Maine, the Secretary of State, Shanna Bellows, um, decided that as a chief election officer who's taken an oath to uphold the Constitution, since the Constitution contains Section 3, um, banning uh, the, the Reconstruction Era uh, provision that says, uh, hey, if you're going to commit insurrection and you've taken an oath to the Constitution, you are disqualified for running for office. Well, in Massachusetts, the um, Free Speech for People uh, did bring an action saying that our Secretary of State should preclude uh, Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot because he's an insurrectionist. Um, and it was determined by William Galvin, our uh, Secretary of State here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, has said that his office is going to leave that matter to the United States Supreme Court to determine so as, quote, not to deprive voters of their right to cast a vote. He believes that voters is where that decision should lie, um, and that is what the Massachusetts uh, GOP, the Republican Party, um, actually uh, argued. So uh, Amy Carnival, the chair of the Massachusetts Republican Party, is celebrating this decision. Uh, Free Speech for the People is going to be appealing this decision. They have announced um, it's a complicated issue to an extent. To me, he's an insurrectionist. So what we decided during Reconstruction is, hey, if you want to secede from the United States, you don't get to run for office, for federal office in the United States. Um, so it's going to be interesting. These several states, it's, it's an issue in, in Michigan. It's been an issue in Washington State. A number of states are trying to determine how they feel about this issue. I think what's really interesting, we think of it as a federal issue because obviously it's federal offices that we're talking about. At the same time, um, Article 2 of the United States Constitution leaves the decision of who should be, how presidents are elected to the states. That's what happened in Bush versus Gore, is that the United States Supreme Court stripped the Florida Supreme Court of the ability to uh, continue the counting of the ballots um, back in 2000. Um, and they did so because they said that, uh, even though it's a one-shot deal, they said it is not a precedent for anything future, they felt they said, they argued, well, I hate to even say it because it's so illogical, but there, there wasn't enough time to go ahead with the ballot counting. And as we all know, 
Eventually, we found out that Bush didn't win. He lost by 7,500 in the public popular vote, and those electors, I think there are about 24 of them from Florida at the time, should have been to, should have been Al Gore voters, electors, and that would have flipped the election to Al Gore and the Democrats rather than George W. Bush and the Republicans, and that, my friends, is history. Uh, we are sort of seeing the United States Supreme Court taking on this case. We're all deathly afraid that it's going to be made rather than jurisprudentially. It's going to be made in political kinds of uh, context, and uh, that seems to be the, the track record of this court. Um, we talk about the rule of law. Well, it's the rule of politics that's been driving, I think, the decisions of the United States Supreme Court, much to the dismay of those of us who um, believe in the rule of law and understand its importance. One other thought about this for me, um, I, here's the problem. There were, what, 130 members of the House of Representatives and a number of senators who voted not to certify Joseph Biden as a winner of the election in 2020. And some of them, like Congressman Mo Brooks, spoke at the very rally where Trump encouraged ralliers to march to the Capitol, which resulted in January 6th. Well, I suppose it's arguable that they could be called insurrectionists as well because they were election deniers. They were refusing to uh, uphold our tradition of a succession to office that's peaceful and based on the vote rather than based on uh, lies. Um, so it might be that the Supreme Court is going to say, well, a lot of them might be disqualified because it specifically says in Section 3 of uh, the 14th Amendment that um, senators and uh, representatives who in, took an oath to defend and protect the United States Constitution who subsequently engage in insurrection are disqualified and ineligible to be on ballots? Well, the Supreme Court might be thinking, hmm, literally, uh, that would decimate the Republican presence in Congress, I think, to eliminate them. So I'm, I'm very uh, disheartened about what's likely to happen in the United States Supreme Court. They, uh, they've disappointed us so many times when what we thought was going to prevail was the law. Instead, what prevailed is political ideology. So that's a big story here in Massachusetts. Um, there's another case involving the Supreme Court that has me quite concerned, and that is this uh, ongoing war against administrative agencies that Supreme Court justices on the right uh, seem to be uh, prosecuting. It is a war on administrative agencies. It puts the judgment of judges in matters that require scientific expertise or environmental expertise or um, all sorts of uh, expertise that federal agencies have that judges do not have, uh, it puts the judgment of judges ahead of those scientists and experts in those administrative agencies. It guts our notion of what administrative agencies are. Now, what are administrative agencies? Well, they promote they promulgate, well, let's back up a little bit more. Congress will pass what's called an enabling act. We shall create 
the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA. And so when we create OSHA under the Enabling Act, we create somebody who's going to head OSHA. We also create the position. Congress does. It becomes a law. It's signed by the president, and that law creates that. It also grants regulatory powers to these agencies. That is, they can promulgate regulations that are in the weeds of how to make sure worker safety is promoted on job sites and, and the like. Or um, in this case, we have uh, North Atlantic fishermen that are seeking release, relief from an agency rule that they say uh, uh, is too burdensome for them. So what we have is an administrative agency saying, hey, you know what? We have rules about how much you can fish, how much you can take. We want to protect our, our uh, sea life from being overly fished. Um, and therefore, we have people on your boats who can observe what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, well, that is burdensome, argue a lot of uh, people in the fish industry. Um, and there's a network that's backed by billionaire Charles Koch um, that says, hey, um, this is just so burdensome for marine fisheries and for North Atlantic fishermen. What we should do is eliminate that regulation. They eliminate that regulation, but that flies in the face of what we call the Chevron Doctrine. That is a principle that became known, named after the oil industry giant, that said uh, at the time that an agency's interpretation of federal law should be given deference by the courts. Those agencies are staffed by people who are experts in these particular fields. Whatever the field is, the agency supervises, overlooks. Um, and uh, the courts don't know as much about how to protect marine life or whatever the issue is as, as those experts. That Chevron Doctrine has been in effect since 1984. That Chevron Doctrine is being reviewed right now by the United States Supreme Court. This is really chilling. We see it manifested in so many ways. We see it with the FDA. Um, it's a Pripstone, the, the abortion drug, whether or not the FDA should have its experts determine the safety of that drug, or should we have jugs, judges who have an ideological bent towards a yes or no making that determination. And this Supreme Court is chillingly, frighteningly, anti-science. The Supreme Court is pro-ideology, even at the expense of science that can help people, that can help us. Uh, we're not the us that the Supreme Court seems to be interested in protecting. There is a lot of news today, but there's also news this week. And this week's big news here in Patriots country if you're a football fan, is that Bill Belichick and owner Robert Kraft have parted ways. And wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that meeting when they decided to part ways? And what's going to happen to Bill Belichick? What's going to happen to his successor on the Patriots, Coach Mayo? 
We're going to talk to our own in-house expert sports journalist, Scott Cohen. We're going to talk about exactly that right after this. Stay with us. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 